0: Welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Well, well, well. Thank you everybody for joining the Spirited Advocate. Uh, We've got a special show today. Uh, We've got none other than Derek Brown. Derek Brown is one of the leading spirit and cocktail experts, not only in Washington, D.C., but really in the world. And uh, he won the Best American Cocktail Bar uh, under his leadership at the Columbia Room, which is a great bar right here in D.C. In addition to that, Derek uh, was named Playboy magazine top 10 entertainers and top leaders uh, that will save the world in 2017. He is an author of a great book called Spirit, Sugar, Water, and Bitters, How Cocktails Conquered the World. Uh, That book just came out earlier this year. Uh, We were lucky enough at Discus uh, to host a book signing uh, with Derek, and it was just a great event. So uh, recently, Derek was even appointed as the Chief Spirits Advisor of the National Archives uh, when he hosted a year-long spirited uh, Republic. So, Derek, thank you very, very much uh, for joining us, and uh, we're you. excited to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yeah, good fun. So, Derek, uh, first and foremost, I mean, we recognize the impact of uh, bars and restaurants all around the country since the COVID crisis has, has flared up. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you've been grappling through. Uh, obviously, I'm proud to say that uh, the Distilled Spirits Council, with our member companies, were able to raise uh, almost $12 million uh, to benefit the U.S. Bartenders Guild. Uh, but we recognize uh, this has had a real impact on you directly, personally, yeah. and so forth. Uh, so, could you just kind of give us a little bit of a picture of what you've been grappling with and what you're. Your partners uh, have been grappling with over the last month or so.
1: Sure, I mean I'll start by saying that I'm grateful for those people yourselves included who have uh, put in money for our staff uh, for bartenders um, because you know what we do is right now not legal to do. In um, that way, weirdly enough, like prohibition, but not like prohibition. You know, <laughs> everything's very different. But but bartenders just can't work, and so uh, thank you for helping out, and thank you to everybody who has. As far as the bar goes, the Columbia Room, um, it's been a real challenge. I mean, we are luckier than some uh, in the sense that we didn't start with nothing in the bank. Some bars and restaurants are going, um, you know, kind of like payroll to payroll, just like some people are going paycheck to paycheck. And especially small independent bars and restaurants, it's it's very difficult. Um, There's small margins. There's a lot of effort that goes into it. Um, and, And so... You know, we were able to, you know, um, kind of keep things going. We had to, unfortunately, let go 15 of our staff members, um, but we were able to retain four. And we've since then been able to hire some back based on uh, to-go cocktails, which has been a real lifesaver. Um, the, we're in Washington, D.C., uh, and, and that's legal here, and, and that's been great. Um, and, and people have had a great response. They're really helping to support us it's, it's a challenge that we're down um, to doing about 40% of the sales that we used to do. And that's, that's not easy. So we've had to, um, you know, basically we can't pay our rent. You know, we, we have trouble with paying the bills. We have to kind of, I guess, you know, triage them and decide which one we're going to do. And so that, that's hard because, you know, we've always paid our bills on time. We've always been, you know, very honest shop and, and it's hard to kind of sit back and realize it's out of your hands. Um, so I, it's hard, but 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 the, there's silver lining to it in the sense that we have the opportunity to reinvent what we do. We have an opportunity to um, you know put in some creativity uh, to what we're doing and 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 hopefully change things around.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Just last week, the Trump administration announced uh, you know plans for reopening of america uh, in three phases and in phase two is the plans to reopen uh, bars and restaurants with with limited access obviously we're all wanting to keep uh the curve going downward and ultimately flatten it and killing it uh are you are you getting a sense that you're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel at this point
1: we do, I mean, I don't unfortunately, we see the light, but we don't know how distant it is. you know it's one of those things where we're looking down we we're, we're going to get out of this, you know I mean things are can't stay like this forever, but certainly uh, we don't know the exact date. I am happy that there are some plans and that they're based on um, you know some very good information um, to to start things opening where they can um, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that whereas Restaurants are part of the first phase, bars are part of the second phase, which I think is a little bit unfortunate because they certainly, um, restaurants and bars do pretty much the same thing these days. I mean, yep. especially high-end bars, we serve food, we have a tasting menu, um, we serve you know cocktails that are really well-made, um, thoughtfully made, um, and and restaurants do the same. So I, I'm, I'm curious about that decision, but it, they are just guidelines. And, and so I hope that we have the opportunity when it's safe to open.
0: Yeah, most importantly, Derek, tell us a little bit about what uh, uh, bars and restaurants, bars in particular, do to just contribute to the overall community. If you could just elaborate on that, obviously that's had been in large part, put on hold for the last month, uh, even though I'm sure everybody's working hard to get great cocktails to consumers. And we can talk about that in a moment, but just tell us about what bartenders and great bars, uh, how they contribute to the overall community.
1: Sure. I think I mean, the first and most obvious way um, everybody knows is you get a chance to go to a place and enjoy yourself and relax and connect with your community and people and your friends. And and bars are a social place. And um, that's a wonderful thing that we need right now, but we can't do right now. Um, I think everybody knows that part of it. But the second part of it is that essentially 90 cents on the dollar goes out. We keep about 10 cents, meaning me and our investors, if we had a good year good, you know. month, good year yeah good month good year and um the rest goes to the community uh, it goes to various services it goes to um farmers in some cases it goes to artisans in some cases it goes to our employees it goes to so many different places so that's one way it it, it contributes to the community as well but then there's a kind of third way that i don't think most people think about bars and restaurants do a lot of charity related work i don't think a day has gone by Pre-COVID, that people didn't ask me for a gift certificate or um, some kind of package that they can uh, that they can that I would donate for um, a raffle, essentially, so that they could raise money, whether it's a church or a school or a nonprofit organization. And you know what? We almost always said yes, if unless we had a really high volume, we just said yes. Um, That was part of it. There's all these events that go on for like Taste of the Nation, as an example, um, which is to support Share Our Strength, which helps feed hungry children. And we always gratefully donate our time and resources to that. And so uh, ultimately, bars are places where you know we, we enjoy ourselves and our community and our friends. They're places that help the community in many ways. And so I want people to think about that because losing bars and restaurants doesn't just mean losing a cocktail. No um, doubt. Yeah. And I would also um, say that even though a lot of bars and restaurants are having trouble, they are actually pitching in. So we're working with something called the Power of 10 initiative, which essentially um, gives $10,000 to a a restaurant or um, bar that produces food to hire back um, 10 people for a week and make a thousand meals for the community. Um, And I think that's the kind of Spirit that the restaurant and bar community has always had, um, and it's, it hasn't died just because of COVID.
0: Sure, I, you, I'm sure you've got a great community of friends and buddies and partners that are bartenders, and they're so dependent on tips, right? So th- this must be an awfully anxious time for for those folks out there because you know until things get back in order, uh, they're sitting on their hands to some degree, right?
1: Yeah, that's right, and you know what? Essentially, you know, bartenders um, are hardworking people. They always, um, you know, go the extra mile. The bartenders that work at the Columbium for sure, um, and and all they want to do is work. They love their jobs. It's a fun yeah. job, and and it's a, a hard job, but it's a fun job. And and at the end of the night, you're exhausted from serving people ten hours on your feet, um, having all of these different conversations. It can be a lot but it's so satisfying to, and um, I want to get them back to work. I'm sure everybody does.
0: Totally. Uh, I had the, the liberty of being a bartender and a waiter back in, mm-hmm. in my college days, and uh, you're essentially making people happy, right, and providing a great product and a great cocktail and so forth. So D.C., uh, uh, to the credit of the mayor, uh, they quickly moved to allow pickup uh, for food at restaurants and pickup uh, cocktails. Uh, how's that been working? Uh, is that, Has that been helpful?
1: Uh, been, of
0: course, a, we're excited about it because it's a new market access point for consumers, right?
1: That's right. Uh, we're very happy with it. I mean, this is not the um, thing that saves us. This is the thing that helps us move along a little bit. Um, sure. Like I said, our sales are down 40% of what they were. Some places are lower, some places are slightly higher, but everybody's hurting. Um, this, the mayor worked quickly to get this done, and we're absolutely grateful for that. And for the municipalities and states where people have worked hard to make sure bars are included in the whole picture, that's great. Um, and, and it's it's worked for us, and it's, it's been something that gives a little hope and happiness to people out there who are stuck at home. And, you know, we take every detail and, and care that we can to make sure. I feel like sometimes I'm not walking into a bar. I'm walking into surgery, you know, like. Sure. You know, But, um, but it's worth it, um, to keep, keep us, our staff safe, to keep people safe and to keep people happy and hope.
0: Absolutely. Well, you just think about it's such an anxious time for everybody and if they can get a nice cocktail at the end of the day with their, uh, whether it's a a pizza or a great dinner and pickup, it's helping, uh, the local restaurant, the local bars and so forth. So, uh, just so everybody's aware, uh, you know, over the past month, over, uh, 40 states have deemed, uh, the retail of beverage alcohol as essential. And, uh, you know, there's been some questions in some of the media about why is beverage alcohol essential, but you just look at the jobs that it creates in the hospitality sector, how important it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm proud of the our work at Discus and working closely with the National Restaurant Association and working closely uh, with each of the state governors uh, early right out of the gate. I think uh, Governor Cuomo and the governor of New Jersey uh, allowed for the pickup of cocktails at restaurants. And and maybe this is something that can carry on beyond uh, COVID-19 crisis and so forth. So. Yeah. Uh, Derek if you don't mind for fun uh, let's just kind of turn the tor- corner now, I'm talking to a cocktail expert right here right yeah so uh, how did you get into it tell us you know what what drove uh, you to just uh, uh, be passionate about uh, the history of cocktails and the history of the distilled spirits industry and so forth sure I mean, you a
1: little I bit built- about that? Yeah, absolutely. It was a little accidental at first. You know, I've always worked uh since I was 16, I've always worked in restaurants um and then I started working bars in my early 20s. And um you know, I kind of just be honest, I was kind of a shiftless loser back then. I just I didn't have much and I just kind of traveled, made money, traveled and, and I was trying to soak up experience. So, but I didn't but have nice. too, right? It What's was fun. It's yeah, fun. Yeah. It was fun. yeah. I wouldn't take it back, but sure. but uh, there was a moment where I kind of felt like I I don't know I had I didn't have I had about thirty bucks in the bank and I was feeling kind of like down on myself and I said you know what um, and I just started barking. I said somebody's the best bartender in the world and I don't see why it shouldn't be me and all this time that I've spent running around the world was great but now it's time to buckle down and decide to do one thing as well as I can and that was that was the effort I put into it. Um, and certainly I haven't become the best bartender in the world, but I think it's one of those things where you shoot at the moon and you land among the stars. Um, and I'm grateful for the place that I'm in because I have, I get the opportunity to do amazing things, to research the history of spirits and alcohol and cocktails, um, to talk to some of the greatest minds and people, whether distillers or other fellow bartenders or, or historians in some case. Um, and it's, it's been great. Um, so it's, it's been a, a big uphill race and, and I'm glad that I'm, I'm, I'm still going up.
0: Did you, did you always like to write? Uh, were you always a pretty good writer and that help, helped you apply, uh, your learnings and your life experiences into writing?
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, I've always wanted to be a writer, but I have not always been a good writer <laughs> and practice perfect for anything. I don't think people realize sometimes that writing, you got to. You got to treat like uh, practicing for a baseball game. You know, you have to uh, get yourself in shape.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, Derek, tell us about what's the balance of a Derek Brown cocktail, right? I mean, what's the essence of that, right? How do you make your favorite cocktail? How do you create that balance?
1: I think the most important thing to it um, is that we have – the greatest cocktails ever invented have already been invented. I'm not saying nothing new will ever come, but I think it's going to be rare now to get uh, cocktails as good as we got even at the end of the 19th century, which we refer to as the golden age of cocktails. Um, that's when like you have daiquiri, uh, the real daiquiri, rum, lime, sugar. You have a martini, a dry martini, a Manhattan. All of those drinks were all you know invented in that period of time. And those drinks are perfect. They're wonderful. I mean, I, for me, a martini is the most perfect drink in the world. Um, everyone has their own taste, though. But I would say that um, basing our drinks off of those classic recipes, almost like if you were a chef, not not taking every line from, but going back and studying Escoffia, you know, like going back and studying the masters, uh, their craft. That's what we should do as bartenders to make great cocktails. Start there.
0: Yeah, Derek. I remember at the at the at the book signing that we did with you. You presented. uh We tasted one of the original cocktails from, from our forefathers. Do you remember that cocktail? Could you just yeah. tell us a little bit about the history? history? Yeah, sort
1: of, sort of a precursor to the the drink we call the cocktail, but it's a mixed drink and it fits in well into that history. It's called the Fish House Punch, and it's something that was um, enjoyed in the beginning of our country and enjoyed. A lot, sometimes too much. Yeah, I, I will say this, and I'm. I, I think that at
0: tavern, uh, right at the tavern, at the tavern,
1: yeah, kind of a lot right. at the tavern. Yeah, people drank about seven point one ounces. I'm sorry, seven point one gallons of alcohol per person. That was too much back then, but it was good. The fish house punch. So.
0: Uh, I like that. Well, yes, of course, all in moderation and all in a balanced, healthy lifestyle. So yeah. tell us about the 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 alcohol or cocktail kit. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that and what's that all about?
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we found and this is part of that creativity and innovation is, you know, we were selling cocktails, but a lot of people were asking us like for classes or, or if they could buy a bottle from us. And we said, you know, what we should do is we should just put everything in one kit. You take, you know, you, you can get it to go, uh, either uh, pick it up or delivery. And then you have a week where you can experiment and try to, you know, our recipe, change it up a little bit. Um, I think it's a really wonderful way to learn to make cocktails where you everything have everything in front of you and ready to go. Um, and we also pick the best spirits that we can.
0: Sure. You know, uh, Just over the last 15 to 20 years, it probably all kind of originated around sex in the city and, you know, the the whole interest and intrigue in cocktails. What's that like been in your evolution, uh, in, in your history of just watching, uh, the passion and the love for great cocktails. And you have people all around the country that are excited about, uh, making a great cocktail at home or, uh, with their favorite bartender and so forth. Uh, Just could you elaborate on that and how uh, you've seen uh, the distilled spirits industry just really uh, uh, just uh, come to its own over the last 15 to 20 years? And it seems like there's no uh, there's no slowing that down. It's an exciting time. Despite COVID, we're all tired of this. Right. Uh, But there's no slowing down of that. Could you expand on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it starts with when we we came to the recognition. Obviously, in the eighties, seventies, and eighties, is a little bit of the dark ages of cocktails. You know, um, yeah, there there was other substances that people maybe preferred, or there wasn't the best selection of spirits. There were some still good ones, and there were some good bartenders. But at the end of the day, um, it you know it it wasn't like the golden age, and it wasn't like now. It was kind of stuck in between. Um, so you know. Since then, it's been a little bit of an uphill battle, but I think we've made it. I mean, people are really recognizing cocktails as the great culinary creations, and also they're recognizing the history of the cocktail. I mean, a cocktail, just like jazz or baseball, is one of America's greatest creations. In fact, it's gone throughout the entire world. Um, so in some ways, cocktails have been our ambassadors. And so I think that um, people are starting to see that, they're starting to understand that, they're understanding the creativity behind it, the thought behind it, the history behind it. Um, and so I'm happy to say we've, we've arrived. We're here, you know, and that people are still ordering them and caring about them, even in time of crisis, um, I think shows how meaningful they are to people.
0: Yeah, for everybody, this book, okay, Spirit, Sugar, Water, Bitters, How Cocktails Have Conquered the World. How long did it take you to write the book? It's really, it's a, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a nonfiction history uh buff uh and i love it because it oh, just nice. really gives the essence could you just tell us a little bit about the great book and how does sure. that go
1: yeah. yeah i had to skip through a few thousand years of history in 209 pages <laughs> so it, it was not the easiest book to write in that regard it took about two years but some of it was uh getting a proposal together some of it was hemmon and holland um when we sat down and wrote the book i think it all flowed because it's stuff that i'd studied for a very long time um, and I had a lot of information that I had received from so many great bartenders and bars. So, yeah, about two years. Um, and, I, you know, I try to make it conversational because I think, you know, what I hoped people would get out of it is that they would get the opportunity to learn a story about a cocktail, let's say the Cosmo, which is a good cocktail. I know it's gotten beaten up a little bit, um, but it's a good cocktail. They get to learn the story behind it then they get to open the page of the recipe and make it a little bit of liquid history, if you will. Um, That's why we actually decided to have two, I'm pointing to them right now, two bookmarks. So you can mark the story and you can mark the recipe and you can, you know, tell your friends all about it. Um, So I think that, uh, you know, it's been a fun book to write. We wrote it specifically as if I was talking to people over a bar and um, I just hope people enjoy it. I'm really glad that you like it, Chris
0: congratulations okay some fun stuff uh if you had to pick one person could be someone dead or alive that you would love to have a cocktail with could you give us that one person i'm sure you've been asked this question many of times Uh, does anybody come to mind for me it's winston churchill i think that would be a trip
1: yeah (laughs) i think spending any time with that guy would have been fun um you know, I'm going to switch the equation a little bit and say a place I'd like to drink um, because it does involve people. And it's a place called Shoemakers. And it was where the gin ricky was invented, where the ricky was invented. Um, and it was in the 19th century, going all the way up to Prohibition. Um, and the, this is a wonderful bar because it's before the National Press Club existed. And so all of the reporters would go there. A bunch of judges would go there. Politicians would go there. Here and, here in DC, absolutely, yeah, where the Marriott is, there they actually have a plaque that we put up to commemorate the invention of the Jim rummy and the uh, shoemakers there. But um, this was a place where a lot of important people went, and uh, every president except, uh, I think, Fillmore uh, went there during its existence because it was that special to people um, that you, you kind of had to go there and, and, and as an honorific thing. So, so I would have liked to just be a uh, fly on the wall yeah. there. Could you imagine the conversations that would have happened? Back and here's, here's the ironic thing about it, is that this was a dive bar. So it was sometimes called like, I think like Cobweb Hall, because it had all this dust and cobwebs everywhere, not recommended in a bar, but it's got character. And so they even fired a um, uh, one of the um, bussers, I think at the time, uh, be, they called him a porter, because they had wiped down a table and one of the bartenders said, Do you know whose elbows have been there?
0: <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I you, sometimes the die bars. I mean, my my most favored memories of uh, have just been in, you know, great dive bars around around the country, right? I mean DC has one called well, it used to be it's called
1: the Tune In. Oh yeah, uh, where
0: you would go late night and so forth. I mean, we could go on and on about
1: that's oh. a great one. Uh, let me add one more thing though that I think is kind of cool is that um, it's the only bar I know from that time that was mentioned in the Congressional Record. There was like an agricultural uh, committee um, that uh, Judge Cowan, who was testifying, said literally everybody knows that Shoemakers has the best whiskey in DC. Check that, <laughs> uh, and it's really funny uh, to, to me as a, a sort of history nerd and uh, politics and 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 alcohol so.
0: Yeah, my personal favorite is well, it's no longer there, but it used to be the Zoo Bar, right across the street from the Zoo. Love that uh, place! Love that I place. Spent many, 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 many nights uh, there. A uh, uh, lot of fun. So, uh, tell us about uh, uh, the Columbia Bar a little bit and uh, your experiences. And I know it's going to be up and running. It's already kind of you're you're working. We're again, trying our best. I, um, yeah,
1: I, I think we're going to make it. Um, we're we're Again, I just – I can't repeat this enough how grateful I am to people who are supporting us through ordering our cocktails um, to go for delivery, cocktail kits, all of that. It's been a great response, and we're, we're really just, you know, couldn't be more, like, happy for that. But, um, it you know, what we did before um, was we did cocktail pairing with foods. Um, and we made great classic cocktails. And we try to do some inventive kind of spins on the cocktail. And, you know, we are lucky, as you mentioned in the beginning, to be recognized as one of the best bars in America. And um, that's what we'd like to keep doing. Um, and we've had one of the cool things about being in D.C., as you well know, is, you know, we don't have – We've had celebrities come through, but our celebrities are the politicians, I guess. That's why. So, and, and maybe you cut this out. Sometimes they call it ugly Hollywood, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, Derek, tell me, tell me. I mean, Woody Harrelson, what a character. I understand you've had the opportunity to provide a cocktail to Woody Harrelson and Martha Stewart and many other uh, celebrities. Could you just tell us about Woody Harrelson about that? That must've been uh, quite an experience, right?
1: Yeah. And I'll also tell you, it was wonderful to serve a cocktail of Martha Stewart. She's so great, but the Woody Harrelson one was very special to me. And I I do like to talk about it because uh, he's the first bartender I saw on TV. I mean, maybe younger people don't, don't know this, but he was on a show called cheers, uh, where he played Woody. And he was kind of like, I guess, Midwestern, um, you know, salt of the earth kind of uh, guy. And sure. he was um, he was a bartender and I'd see him do his thing, you know? And I was, I, yeah, I was like, wow. So so one day he came, a friend of mine is a friend of his as well. And they came and sat at the bar um, and he asked me to make him a drink. Now, the there's another first in there. I watched a movie. I don't know if anyone else has ever seen this movie. It's called The Cowboy Way that had Woody Harrelson in it. And in that, he drinks mezcal all the time. And that's the first time I'd heard about mezcal. It was a long time ago, before I was bartending. So when he sat down, it was a perfect match. I was like, great. I'm going to serve one of my bartenders some mezcal. And he's going to laugh and say, I used to drink this all the time in the cowboy way. So I made him this drink. It was very complicated. I'm smiling the whole way. And I set it down. And I say, it's made with mezcal. And wait for (laughs) it. And he goes, what's that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh,
1: no. oh uh, man like, all right well i guess that was just, it's a
0: script you probably forget it after a while sure you had a moment in time yeah. and uh martha stewart i mean i've always been fascinated by her because of her history <laughs> and i swear i think she is truly buddies with snoop Dogg. Uh okay. tell us about martha stewart she just seems like a really fun fun lady
1: yeah well i mean there's no reason martha stewart should spend a lot of time on me she's a very um uh, very powerful and uh, a well-loved celebrity, but um, I was as I was kind of like peeking out my dressing room before we went on set. Uh, before we went on set, she walks by and she goes, "You're the Martini guy," and points to me, and she says, "I don't want to drink gin," um, and explained it was because she had some gin experience.
0: experiences. Experiences so got it. I'll leave to her. To Everybody has, a, yeah. yeah.
1: But but so she shared that with me, and it was a very personal and cool moment. Um, and I was really um, honored that she took time out of her day to to spend with me and talk about it and, and to recognize me for what I do. Um, she's a great, really great, and she's she's taught Americans so much about what you should do. Uh, you know, in terms of drinking, eating, crafts. I mean, she's a, a pretty a cool real icon.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And just uh, yeah, she's a pretty endearing, endearing, person. So good, good for you. And of course, you didn't serve her gin then. You had a vodka martini, right? Vodka there, martini. There's
1: a whole other story about that that involves on set, off set, and then a letter sent later. But I will tell you that um, Martha did drink a vodka martini, but she finally acknowledged that the gin martini was pretty good. So, so, so we've been a bar that has consistently had a lot of. Um, staffers and members of Congress and members of administrations come through um, for 10 years that we've been open and and we've been really proud of that. Um,
0: You see the truth in those moments, right? But you always got to respect that because folks in the political element, they want to come and have fun and kind of relax and have a safe place, right? Uh, And really, I tell you, with the political divide in our country, if Republicans and Democrats could get together more often and have a cocktail together i bet you we would find more common ground in our politics
1: yeah i definitely think i wrote an article for the washington post about that um everybody's always welcome in the in the columbia room we'd love to to have um people from wherever but um it you're right it's hard it's a hard time and and politically it's very difficult but you know one thing i realized a long time ago is that you don't last long in washington as a bartender, if you pick sides, so yeah. But obviously, I have my political opinions and my thoughts, and if somebody wants to talk to me personally about having to share them, but if you want to know what who drank what, I'll never say unless they told no me. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, for trade associations, you gotta you're you're bipartisan, right? Uh, you know, we're advocating whether it's Republican or Democrat or independents, we just gotta advocate for the interests of the industry and really not get caught up in the broader Disputes and just stay focused on our industry, and I think that's what a bartender has to do. Right?
1: That's uh, right. I think people kind of, kind of come and go, and in some ways, it's the same Washington, even though it sometimes seems totally different. Not a swamp. It's not DC's not a swamp.
0: Not uh, at all.
1: But uh, certainly, <laughs> there may be some swampy people here and there. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a judge of that. But I will yeah. say that the city itself is a beautiful city that is not a swamp. I just like to point that out. Absolutely. Uh, but, but you had
0: yeah. a, to serve cocktails for President Obama, right? That's right, uh, yeah, President. Tell us about that. I, I bet that was neat.
1: Yeah, that was really fun. Um, there was like a, a particular moment that I kind of mentioned in my book that um, kind of caught me off guard. You see, I, I was there uh, during a couple different events, and one of them was for um, uh, senior staff um, and some 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 other folks. Just From
0: the Obama White
1: House? Yeah, a few hundred people. And um, I was making drinks, and then and the White House secretary at the time grabbed me and said, hey, I need you to um, come take a picture with the president, which I was like, wow, okay. I did not expect that, you know, and, and I was leaving my post. And, and there was this long line, it was Christmas, so there are a lot of people in, in, in line to take a picture with them, And so I got rushed to the front, so people were first like, who's that important person like? the, You're oh. the VIP. Yeah, um, but, And I'm practicing over and over in my head um, what to say, because I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Mr. President. You know? And uh, sure enough, I get up there, and they introduced me as the mixologist, uh, which is not something I generally call myself, but it's a fine term. And uh, uh, President Obama looked at me and said, wait, mixologist? Isn't that just a bartender? I'll <laughs> get for him. Obviously, he's pulled my leg, and um, and I, we laughed about that a little bit. And of, of course, um, we had our, our minute a our minute to talk, and it was great. Um, and moved on, but it was a very special moment, and, and something that I'll remember my whole life. Well,
0: on a scale of one to ten, on a scale of one to ten, how cool is Barack Obama in that setting? Pretty cool. I would say
1: he's one of the coolest dudes I've met. Yeah. I I think a lot of people call him nerdy and geeky and he is that too. And maybe that's cool after all, but, but watching him move around a room, watching him interact with people, watching how people are genuinely touched by him. I think he's pretty cool.
0: No doubt about it. Uh, Derek, responsibility. I mean, that's always an element with our,
1: with our great industry,
0: uh, moderation and just a balanced lifestyle and so forth. Could you just tell us how you think about responsibility and why, why that's important, uh, an important element of our industry?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I have so many thoughts on that because I've seen a lot of things happen over the course of my career. Um, and, and it happened to me, too, um, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, there's a right way to drink alcohol. Um, alcohol can be dangerous. We all know that. Um, we've seen it. Uh, But I think that there's a right way to drink and that's to enjoy it, that's to enjoy it amongst friends. That's to, you know, get excited about drinking something that's both delicious and intellectually kind of like stimulating, stimulating. Yeah. That's the reason to drink alcohol. All other reasons, probably bad. You know, like if it's to relieve stress or anxiety, if it's to try, you know, these are not the right reasons to drink. Um, It's not medicine. It is a wonderful product that humans have loved for a very long time, um, uh, but it requires some care. and I think that means you know being aware of why you drink. you know that's an important thing. and then um, drinking in moderation so that you make sure. Even in this time where you like you don't know what day it is, you don't know you know what sure. hour it is, you've got, got a-
0: shaved in a day. Exactly. You've got right. favorite
1: pair of sweatpants on. Yeah. Um, it still requires that you be safe and thoughtful, even in the confinement of your own home. Um, because we want you we want you to get out okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, uh, we, you know, I have the privilege of leading responsibility.org, which is the industry foundation that pr- promotes efforts to uh, eliminate underage drinking and drunk driving and promoting responsible consumption. And it's it's really the element of our of our industry. We have to live, uh, live in practice and lead uh, by the way we act. And uh, it's, it's, it is an unbelievable industry. It is important as people are under uh, unique anxieties living in this time, right? That they enjoy it and they, they can relax, but they drink and enjoy the product for the right reasons and not to be a filler for something else, right? Because everybody has to live a balanced lifestyle. And particularly as we're all quarantining, quarantining, you know, you got to exercise, you've got Stimulate the mind and have a cocktail as well. That's a big element of it.
1: Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, recently there's been some talk about whiskey as being a a spiritual tool as well. When they handed a bottle of uh, of a Scotch, sorry, when they handed a bottle of Scotch to the Pope, he said, "This is a true holy (laughs) holy
0: water." Pretty pretty amazing. And, dear blessing, as we close, uh, bourbon. Irish whiskey, scotch, uh, you name it, liqueurs, cordials, you name it. You mentioned earlier you love a great martini, Mm -hmm. uh, but do you love them all? Tequila, how could I forget tequila, Uh, vodka, gin, Uh, do you love them all or do you have a particular favorite? Are you a brown spirits person or uh, just tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I I do love all spirits. I've gotten to appreciate some of the most difficult to appreciate ones, to be honest with you. Um, and I love it, uh, how they tell a story of the place that they're made and the people who made them. I love the history behind it and I love that connection. So even something that I don't personally like, um, if it's well made and thoughtfully made and belongs to a place, I'm going to appreciate it for what it is. Um, but personally, I'm a what I call an oak addict. I prefer brown spirits and Particularly, I'm a fan of bourbon and Scotch,
0: no doubt. And you think the bourbon bourbon craze will continue? You know, we've been we've been struggling the last couple of years with tariffs yeah. on American whiskey, and I think eventually we're, we're going to overcome that. Uh, uh, you think the bourbon bourbon the love for bourbon is going to continue for for years to come?
1: I think so. I mean, it's just such a great spirit, and so many people love it passionately. I would say. Um, and there's so many great distillers and producers out there and they're only growing, um, you know, from, from the, from the greats to crap distillers. I think there's, there's such a quality and range of bourbons. Yeah. It's, gonna, it's just going to keep growing. And I think people are going to continue to appreciate it. I even see now that people are asking us for, um, high-end bourbons, even amidst this crisis, which is, is great. I mean, I'm glad that they're, they have the means to do so and, and enjoy it. And um, And so, yeah, I I don't see any any of this slowing down in terms of high-end whiskeys. Awesome.
0: Well, Derek, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council, really, thank you for your leadership, uh, your commitment, your passion uh, to the cocktail. You know, On behalf of all the member companies of the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States and Responsibility.org, we appreciate your commitment to the history and the passion of cocktails and I am enjoying an Irish whiskey right now, Uh, Uh and just really big cheers to you. And uh, know that you will all get out of this soon, and uh, we'll be uh, at the Columbia Bar soon enough, enjoying a great cocktail with you. And uh, just stay safe and healthy. And thank you for uh, the time that you've afforded us today. And look forward to having a cocktail with you in person uh, soon enough.
1: Yeah, Uh, I can't wait.
0: parting words so
1: I, I just want to thank you for having me on i really appreciate it and uh, i want to thank you for all you do chris because i know you all work hard um, and are still working hard so thank you great thank you Derek. cheers 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 the spirited advocate podcast was brought to you by the distilled spirits council of the united states if you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show
0: or send us topic suggestions to cover please contact us at podcast at distilled spirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.